welcome to the Joel Rest Podcast, episode 9, recorded on the evening of the 20th of April 2015. And for once in this show's history, after eight episodes of doing it on my own and kind of splicing in bits of other people, I actually have a guest. So, welcome back, Isaac. Hello, hello. Yes, I had such fun with you last time, it was really great, so I thought, yeah, you can come back. Oh, that's so, so sweet. I've just been gushing since I last talked to you. <laughs> so I kind of didn't really get into this last time, but who are you and why are you on this show? Oh, wow. Um, let me think. I am on this show because you reached out to, I guess, your and listeners and just anybody that wanted to come talk to you could uh, send you some emails and then wade through that nightmare. And after about 40 emails later, that we get invited on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's really about it. Yeah, I'm just uh, been listening to, uh, was it Luddites for a long time, Mintcast for a while, and thought I'd reach out to you and give podcasting a shot. Been kind of interested in it, and it's pretty cool. So that's pretty much it. And so tell me a little bit about yourself. You do programming for a living. Been a programmer, coder, code monkey, whatever it's called, software engineer. I think it's a technical term on my resume. For about five, a little over five years, five years now, not counting any college or any of that stupidness. But you program in Java, so you're not a real programmer. Oh, <laughs> damn. Uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about it except that Java isn't very good. Yeah, that that is true. Java isn't too bad. Oracle's kind of owning it now, so it's kind of taking off. I've been doing, uh, I've been trying to, let me think, I've been doing more backend stuff for most of my duration, and now the front end's kind of picking up more and more since JavaScript's kind of ruling roost and uh, the frameworks and the JavaScript side of the fence are kind of taking off, like Backbone and Angular. We're playing around with those more lately. So I said I've just been doing a little bit of everything, mainly just web applications and RESTful web services or REST web services or whatever you call it. I read a book on that. That's a big, whatever you call it, using REST. <laughs> Fair enough. So last time I talked about how you said you were in Washington, D.C., so I expected an East Coast accent, but you come on, you sound like that, like from the Deep South. So what's all that about? <laughs> I'm originally from uh, Kentucky in the States here. And uh, after college, I got a job uh, opportunity over here in D.C. with a government contractor. So somebody I went to school with, I think his dad was on the up and up. So they were looking for uh, software engineers. I kind of applied, got the job. And since then, I've been here. Actually, that's a lie. I was here for about two years, moved back to Kentucky to work for another contractor, and then moved there, realized why I left there in the first place, and then promptly moved back here two years later. So here I am now. Fair enough. Okay, well, that kind of tells us who you are. So what have you been up to since I last spoke to you? Um, Let me think. The biggest, I guess, two things to talk about in the podcast or reference to the podcast would be so my mom came in last weekend for the big cherry blossom festival here. And during the course of taking her around shops and whatnot, I went inside my first Mac store and I've never been in one of those. And it is, it was a, it was a trip. <laughs> was it a religious experience? Oh, I, I guess it was. I don't know how to explain it. It was just like the store is, so the store I went to was like four times the size of every store on the strip, you know? And then you go, I don't know if you've been in one. I've never been in one. So you go in one, and then there's just tables everywhere. The employees can't, I guess the given employee for his table can't leave the table. And there's like, there was, of course, the Apple Watch. And uh, people were also roaming around floating. They had like a whole kids section with bean bags. I mean, all in all, this one store had to have at least, we'll just say from the people I saw helping, you know, uh, 
helping people at least 50 employees. And that's not talking about anyone stocking the shelves in the back or anything. So, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I've never been in one. It was it was just crazy. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. And every time you like want to look at anything, there's automatically someone there to talk to you, regardless of how many people at the table. It's just always someone's there, along with like three or four security guards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I hate that, though, about American stores here, where you just get hassled. Here in England, I like to go into shops, and I think most of us like to go in and just browse and be left alone. We don't want to be like, hi, how are you doing? How can I help you? It's like, if I want help, I'll come and find you, you know? Yeah, that's kind of the way I am too. The Apple store was different because I felt like they picked up on it. I kind of looked at the watches and just started laughing because he's like, man, can I help you? I'm like, no, no, I do not want this. And I just like walked away. But some of them were pretty cool. Some of them look like they just, were, I don't know. You could tell all day from the beginning of the the morning to the to night, it's just going to be slammed, the whole store. So. Yeah. And then uh, I also fell back in love with the, the public library. I have not been to library, and I don't know when. And I just started going recently again, and I was kind of surprised they had a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I was kind of like, you know, where's uh, where's the Kindle at? You know? But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, surely, have you not got a Kindle or a Nook or anything? Uh, well, I have. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of both, but um. I love the device. It's really good for getting like newspapers and magazines. You get them right then. But books, I love it for books. Coding books are a little bit up and down because some of the examples and whatnot are a little bit harder to read, you know, on a, a given tablet screen. But when I went there, the amount of computer books they had, I knew they'd have a lot, but I, most of them are fairly up to date. They had a Scala book that was like just been put out recently, I noticed. But then when I got my library card, they also had ebooks I could check out. And they told me it would go to my e-reader, given the uh, the format, pick it. And then I guess after three weeks, it just evaporates off my e-reader. Unless you plug it into uh, Calibra and rip it. That's exactly what I was going to try and do. So <laughs> I, as soon as he said, you could like, oh, Lee, you know, you can put it down your ebook. My mind immediately just, you know, I didn't hear a word he said. I was like, I'm about to burn every book you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Why not? Yeah. So what have you been up to? Well, last night I did Mintcast, and you were in the IRC for that, and uh, we were kind of talking about my cat, Linus, and uh, other stuff. It was There was quite a lot of preparation needed for that. We were talking about package managers, and um, I had to install Fedora and look at Yum, and then that spiraled into looking at DNF, and um, it turns out that most package managers are kind of the same, really, uh, in a superficial way, so it's quite hard to talk about it for any length of time. And while I was doing my big talk as all, it always seems to be the case that when I'm doing a big long speech about in the main topic what I'm supposed to be talking about uh, something goes wrong technically and um, Rob's internet connect- connection died and so I was just talking and there was no live stream for a while and so everyone missed it were you listening to the live stream then yeah I was listening to the live stream I was actually walking my dogs when you started talking I was like oh it's just Joe so I went outside <laughs> and I, I caught a chunk of what you said and I was just gonna listen to it all later and then I came back in the middle of a uh, I think Scott his talk so I kind of missed some of it but uh, okay but yeah that was all right and um I'm not sure if I've done a Linux Luddites between talking to yeah I must have done um that that was quite a lot of work all day Sunday, and then I had quite a lot of time pressure because I had to go to this kind of drinks thing near me, and I was like, really had to get it done. So I did it quite quickly, and um, so it might not have been as well edited as usual. I don't know. If it's the, uh, <clears throat> I think, episode 39, it's not too bad. I, I just want to say on the Mintcast, Scott's talk was really kind of enlightening. I didn't, I didn't realize Arch had like had so much available. It was sounded funny to be the hardest distro to use yet. 
had the most available for like package management. Yeah, well, there's a reason why the the kind of Uber nerds and you know power users use it because it is a, a really powerful distro, but it's just too much of a pain to use for me. I just prefer the the ease of Ubuntu or Mint or something. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I might give it a shot. I don't know. It's just uh, say I've tried it. <laughs> well, you can always try Manjaro. That's a really easy way to do it. Oh, really? I have to pull that down. I haven't been around to looking at too much lately. I just kind of been commenting on the everybody's podcast lately i feel like <laughs> yeah just sending emails and stuff <laughs> yeah see, just just so i could do my rant <laughs> so we're kind of gonna have a bit of a change after eight episodes we'll give this one a go with two people and we've actually got a show doc with some news stories and stuff so uh let's get into that then so this first news story that you've put in, and I must say, I did no preparation for this at all, apart from read these stories about half an hour ago. So well done for putting it together. <laughs> What's well, funny, because um, I told you, like, you want to do the show, you know, now, and you're like, well, I might want to read these news stories. And I was like, oh, my God, I have not read them either. So <laughs> <laughs> You put them in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, I kind of scanned them over, and it was, uh, a hell, I don't know, it was like, one in the morning and I just kind of put everything together and then I, I read them. They sounded good. And then I forgot to do more like any in depth. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was, I was at the library and I just, I got caught up looking at books. So, <laughs> okay. So the first one anyway is about Watson, which is the IBM artificial intelligence that won jeopardy. And, um, now it's written a cookbook. I don't know how much you read this article. One of the crazier things I'm kind of scanning over right now as we talk, um, Watson has been reduced from a master bedroom to three pizza boxes stacked on top of each other. That's that's crazy. I, I don't I don't know. That kind of blows my mind because for the longest I've seen what Watson looked like. I did not realize they have downsized him to that level. Well, I suppose technology moves on Moore's law and all that, and it just gets smaller, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's it's using just like your you know like some cognitive learning algorithm, which is basically knowing like you know what mistakes it's created and kind of taking off from it. So. In the sense that I, I I have to try this out. As much as I'm not a fan of like where this might lead in the future, I still I have to give this a shot because it looks like Watson is making some really good mistakes, like a chocolate burrito, <laughs> or uh, here's a here's a looks like a beer or a lemonade with bacon in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how it works is like they fed loads of data about what foods generally go together. And then let Watson just <laughs> randomize that, basically. Yeah, if you and then uh, there was the part where it's talking about like Watson discovered you can't cut a uh, a raspberry or a, li- a lemon the same way. So I guess that would make sense on uh, what it's kind of learning. But I don't see anywhere on here where you can find the app. Is it an app? Are they trying to come up with it? It said in this article that you can do it yourself, but I. I'm not sure I couldn't see a link to it. <laughs> what, learn to cook yourself? You can learn to cook yourself, by the way. Like, really? <laughs> no, you can, yeah, you know what I mean. You can input your own, um, what you want it to be, you know, wh- whether it's a main course and what the, what your, you know, if you don't eat certain meats or whatever, then uh, it'll come up with something. But no, I couldn't see a link to it. But you're worried that this is kind of the start of Skynet then? I really think so. I think this is like Watson is like, doing all the heavy lifting for like uh like my Roomba or something like that's gonna start learning how to cook you know because basically Watson is on the you know on the cloud on you know let me put my quotes in there the cloud and uh I think that Watson's kind of like doing a lot of the hard work that like lesser beings is that what you would call a robot that's not as smart as Watson I don't know but uh I guess lesser robots could easily 
You know, I mean, you could, I guess you could technically take the data. This is very theoretical. You could take the data from the cloud from Watson and put it on like an SD card probably and then put it inside a smaller like robot of something that could do the cooking, you know? You could probably have the instructions that Watson comes up with, yeah. <laughs> you, you, could pro- you could probably cook yourself, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could just go to the sh- supermarket, buy the ingredients and actually cook it. I'm waiting for the day that becomes like, man, this computer just cannot cook. You know, like, you know, you can do this yourself. Like, what? So, <laughs> but uh, I'm also wondering, like, in the future, how many times, like, somebody like Bobby Flay or, uh, Ram- you know, Chef Ramsay or somebody like that is going to be using this app, like, behind the scenes. And they're, like, having these five-star restaurants. When in reality, they have no idea what they're doing. Well, have you heard of a guy called Heston Blumenthal? No. Is that... Related to Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> it's the crazy English names, man. I don't know. But he's a, a chef who is known for his experimental cooking. And he will do like crazy stuff like deconstructed bacon sandwich and bacon jelly and weird stuff like that. So it, it's kind of like what Watson's doing, really. He just takes supposedly random elements and fuses them together and then charges people hundreds of dollars or pounds to go and eat it. So... I mean, is this is this positive that we have Watson doing this? I know Watson's doing a lot more. You know, I've read all this and that, but I just don't know if like is this what we wanted Watson to do? I mean, I mean, he's I guess he defeated Jeopardy, so now he's retiring. I don't know. Yeah, you don't think he's trying to crack um, email encryption keys and stuff? <laughs> Obviously not. Yeah, unless there's like an excellent recipe inside that email, then you better watch out for Watson. <laughs> I don't know, man. The, the The idea that there is one Watson just seems a bit strange. It's like there's not one iPad or not one Nexus 4, Nexus 5. You know, there's probably hundreds of Watsons working for the government doing all sorts of stuff. My thought of that kind of did cross my head, I guess. Boy, I had those words mixed up. But when I realized how much smaller Watson to become. So, you know, maybe there really is like an army of Watsons that are learning how to cook better than me, which really, I don't think you need, I think you just need like a Commodore 64 to like smoke me at cooking. So (laughs) yeah, same for me, man. Beans on toast is my speciality. (laughs) So a bit more serious then. The second story is that China have been building military bases in kind of remote islands. Well, making islands in the first place and then making um, military bases out of them. I I don't know how much, uh, We'll call it mainstream. I don't know how much mainstream news you read or keep up with. Have you heard about any of this yet or read anything about this before? No, I try and avoid the mainstream news as far as possible, except for when I go shopping to the supermarket, the first thing you see when you get in there is all the the newspapers. So once a week, I look at the newspaper headlines and usually just laugh at most of them because it's all about immigrants and stuff because we've got this election coming up. So it's all um, just fear-mongering. And I don't know, man, I, I made a conscious choice to not, read mainstream news a long time ago. Um, and now I know why, having read this story, because <laughs> it's basically saying World War Three is definitely going to happen soon. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Sometimes the mainstream news can be a little uh, a little horrible. Not mean to get off topic, but you guys need to elect your, uh, your mayor for PM, for sure. <laughs> Boris Johnson, you like him? Yes, he, he is the greatest human I think that ever lived. He... <laughs> It's funny you mentioned Boris, and this is off topic, but hey, who cares? Yeah. But Boris went to school with David Cameron, who presumably, you know, is our um, prime yeah. minister, and uh, or university or something, and they're, they're both uh, very much cut from the same cloth, except that Dave Cameron is this like really serious politician who's 
you know, managed to be prime minister. Whereas Boris plays the buffoon, but he is cleverer than Cameron. There is no doubt in my mind. Oh yeah, I read a big I read a big article about him and in uh, time, and uh, everyone said like he is a fox for sure. You know, he looks like a buffoon, but he his mind is quick. You know, and he plays up to that image so well. Yeah, there's an interview that he did with Jeremy Paxman, who's like uh, our main political interviewer on the BBC, and he is sharp as a nail, man, sharp as a razor. And um, the two of them sparring, it was really something to watch. I, I would highly recommend it because Boris has got that ridiculous blonde haircut oh, yeah, all yeah. over the place. <laughs> and there's the famous picture of him when he got stuck on the kind of zip line thing. And, you know, people think he's this buffoon, but he is he is deadly serious and he is so sharp. And there's every chance that he will be prime minister, I think, at some stage. Uh, it, it might be a Gordon Brown situation where Tony Blair was prime minister for like 10 years nearly and then uh, handed Gordon Brown the poison chalice before the Tories got in. But, no, he is one to watch, man. Very much like China, getting back to the, <laughs> the story at hand. Oh, yeah, that, that was good. Uh, that was a good uh, pullback there. <laughs> Thanks. It's funny that when I was growing up, my dad always said, you know, when you're my age, China, they're the one to watch. They're going to be taking over the world. And um, I never really took it seriously, but it's kind of happening, isn't it? Yes and no. I mean, <clears throat> I was watching some news show the other day. They do a great job of like presenting that they're doing awesome. And if you look at the numbers behind the scenes, there might be a few things that are kind of uh, they're cooking the books, you know. But this this story is not the books being cooked. So what's going on with the story is there's like a bunch of islands there in the South China Sea that not just like China claims, but it was first thing it might have been between really them and Japan. And that's kind of why there's like somewhat of bad blood at the moment between them. Well, on top of the years of war, but um. So you got them and you also have like the Philippines, Vietnam and uh, Malaysia and uh, Burma. All those countries are kind of competing for this same little area of islands. And and in this and they all say they own it, you know, because of God knows who or what, when. But before, you know, America kind of got involved, it really wasn't that big a deal. You know, let, let them argue because their islands are over here and they're going to kind of just drive their, we'll say battleships here and there, you know, kind of taunting each other, so to speak. But what China's done now is definitely made a an artificial airstrip, and I, I mean, uh, they they I've always been told my whole life that there's only like you need to buy land because there's only there would never be more of it. And uh, what they've kind of done is made land. I mean, they just kind of set up shop, and it's going to be really unique to see or see how this plays out. Because what's to stop another country from building on the very edge of where they everybody says like they do own that area, which is what China's done now. It seems to me like it's kind of like the the British Empire too. You've got this hugely powerful country, China, just wanting to take over, and they can't invade countries like we did back in the day. So the way to do it is to strategically place military bases around so that you can um, control trade and stuff if you want to. Like the these bases that we're talking about here are in a major shipping lane, aren't they? Yeah, that's correct. And so, if anyone decides to declare war or or, or just not even that, if they say to China, "We don't want you to do this," whatever this is, they can just use their military might to close that shipping lane and cause billions of dollars worth of economic damage. So, I 
I honestly do feel like we are headed towards World War Three. I've talked about it a fair bit, but you know, we we had what twenty years between the first two wars, and now it's been like seventy five. Yeah, it's been a little while. You know, I think the internet kind of helped calm that down, but I don't. I feel like if I feel like what they're doing here is really crazy. You know, not in a bad way. Well, I guess in a bad way, but I think it would be a lot more something. You know, something a whole another story if they hadn't have just dumped ton of sand in the middle of the ocean constantly until it kind of I guess in concrete until it kind of built up to this island. I, I think if they had done it more uh, like a flo- a floating island. Our floating airstrip, I think this would be like a whole nother level of like thinking because I mean, I don't know my physics that well, but I mean, if they're going to dump all this sand and concrete right here, that water has to go somewhere, doesn't it? So, I mean, yeah, but in the grand scheme of the, the size of the oceans, that's not really that much, is it? You never know. I mean, I, that's what they say. I guess that's what the people say about the icebergs and stuff that falling off Antarctica or Iceland. But I mean, I feel like they built a a man-made island, but if it was more floating with like motors or turbines underneath it and can be moved at will, I think that would be another level of thinking like they, another level of superpower kind of attitude. I think you're talking about an aircraft carrier. Uh, maybe (laughs) you've got quite a few of them and we've got quite a few of them. (laughs) They exist already. You know, Uh, you might have a good point there. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, you're talking about something on a bigger scale where you can, you, you can't have big, um, like B-52s or whatever it is. You know, the, the huge cargo planes, you can't land those on a, an aircraft carrier. So, you know, you, you're talking something bigger than we've got now. Well, I'm talking like, like death, death star kind of attitude, yeah. you know, something like that size. But you know, now you bring it up that I, I totally was, I guess, thinking of an aircraft carrier. And I guess it makes sense for what they're doing, what they're doing now, which is to, to make more land. Of course, they're doing it like in a military uh, style and fashion. But I mean, eventually, I see this just getting this little island. There's just going to get bigger. I don't see why it wouldn't. And I mean, at some point, years from the you know down the road, it's going to tie in with mainland China for sure. Yeah. And so you reckon other countries are going to start doing the same thing then, just making land out of nothing? Yeah, I don't see what's going to stop like everybody else that's like being provoked by this little this uh, military movement of theirs. I, I don't see why anybody else couldn't do it. I don't see why. I know why America won't do it because I mean, if we do that, it look like, like we're trying to be like the the good people, you know, it, of what we do, which is never the case. But you, you don't need to. You've already got bases everywhere, including Cuba, which is like your arch enemy. You've still got one of your most notorious bases ever. Oh, that's you know that's that's totally true because I was stationed in Okinawa, and uh, there was a base there, and then there was a base like right south of that, about two hours in Guam, and then there's a base like up in South Korea. So yeah, that makes a good point. We just didn't have anything this size, but you know, there's definitely small bases here and there. It's funny. I heard um, someone say waterboarding at Guantanamo Bay sounds a lot more fun than it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, something out of a holiday brochure, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. Like, yeah, I'm taking the kids down to waterboard- waterboarding world this weekend. <laughs> yeah, at Guantanamo Bay. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, crystal. At Guantanamo Beach, it's amazing this time of year. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, we'll have to wait and see if World War Three actually does happen. But uh, the third story you put in then is about Google's Project Loon, which is about, I, I don't understand how this can work technically, but it seems to. It's these kind of balloons, hot air balloon type things, which 
fly higher than even aeroplanes fly and can somehow give internet to the whole world, two-thirds of which doesn't have internet access at the moment. Yeah, did you watch uh, – there's a video on this article that I watched and um, which explained like how the balloons can go from A to B. And because they're pretty, they're pretty much just riding uh, wind streams at that like level of atmosphere or stratosphere. So in other words, if they want to go left and right, all they kind of do is go up and down and kind of hit your ride in the wind. But I, I think that's cool. But the bigger thing is I don't – I think this is just as stupid as a project as Google could ever come up with. I don't – I just don't see how this is – I agree with you. I don't see how this is going to work. I mean, I can't even keep internet service from like the kitchen to the bedroom. <laughs> much less and if you look at the video they're like way up in the mountains i mean we spent all this money to give like four people the internet i don't i don't see how any of this is going to pan out for them well i think the on the videos they like to show these cool mountainous areas and make it seem like it's rural places but really it, it's more a case of places in the world where you've got a lot of potential consumers who don't have internet access and you it might be that it is a large area and it's fairly rural but you might have millions of people over millions of square miles and so if these high altitude balloons can kind of offer internet access to all those potential consumers then that's surely a good thing because then google can sell them some advertising <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, what is the point? I think Bill Gates had a good quote, which was, we have, there was, I mean, he kind of was saying, I can't remember the quote exactly, but it was the, of the nature of like, well, now everyone in the world can Google whether or not they have malaria, you know, but they still have malaria. So good job, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, I, I, I could see that. You know, another thing I thought about what they might be setting up for, which is I'm sure is a military kind of style attitude of like, at any given moment, you could have a, a LAN or a, a any kind of network at, you know, within a matter of minutes, which could probably affect, you know, quite a bit on like the battlefield. I suppose, yeah, not necessarily out to the the existing internet, but just like uh, an intranet of sorts uh, over a battlefield. Yeah, I could see that being uh, a use. I'd read a book a while back about the whole drones and their attitude about drones, but this kind of falls in suit with what one guy was kind of talking about, which was uh, they're trying to get these balloons up and running, but these balloons... I mean, Google's getting better. It sounds like at keeping them up in the air longer, but somebody had brought up the idea of just these blimps that are running nonstop, you know, uh, just kind of providing like, so to speak, a, uh, oh, you know, the, the web or like a kind of like a, a Skynet, so, you know, of like interconnecting blimps and balloons that just, you know, cover a certain radius. Yeah, but I don't understand how they can connect to the internet. I can see how that military application you talked about of a network you know just like taking a, a few wireless routers somewhere and hooking them up together and and having a network over a couple of square miles say um an internal network where you can transfer files around and, and whatever but uh, you know scale that up to these balloons but how can these balloons that are that high connect to the internet as it is now i, I just don't See, it, it maybe through satellites or something, but why not just have satellite service instead of trying to use LTE plus satellites? I mean, I know a guy called Jezra who is, lives in the middle of nowhere somewhere in America, I don't know, and he has got satellite internet and apparently he gets pretty decent speeds with it, but a really terrible ping. So trying to administer servers is a nightmare. He's got like a over a two-second ping or something, which is just 
terrible for doing SSH, but for basic web browsing and stuff, it's not actually too bad. So surely that makes more sense. Although I suppose you do have to launch satellites rather than just hot air balloons, and it must be a lot cheaper to do the balloons. I mean, Google kind of did their homework. I'll give it to them for the balloons. But yeah, I could just see now you could, you'll have to have like uh, your ISP building and then a balloon about 50 feet up and then a balloon about 100 feet up, kind of chaining the <laughs> the connection mm. all the way up to the higher balloons. I, I don't see the point in any of this. I just don't see There's so many more things we'd be doing for people other than setting balloons and then i mean i can only imagine what happens when the weather gets a little crazy i mean at that point maybe they're that hop enough to where the weather isn't a, such a factor it's just i guess yeah i think they're above the weather that's the whole point of them being that high but yeah that you raise a good point there why are we thinking about giving underprivileged people in the world internet access when surely we should be concentrating on food water and medicine i completely agree i mean there's so much more we could be doing for people and yet Google's like trying to get everybody on Gmail <laughs> yeah. or on Tinder. You know, like we got to have this world on Tinder, man. Like this just is not cut it anymore. I'm just, I'm just kind of lost on this. I read an article too that uh, Zuckerberg is doing this exact same kind of concept though. It's just like we have to get everybody on Facebook. Like what is the point? I don't, I'm lost on this. Well, the problem with Facebook is that it started to slow down. They've got however many, I think a billion users or at least a billion accounts, three or four of them are mine. So what does that tell you? <laughs> But, and and none of them are mine, so yes. <laughs> what, you really have never had a Facebook account? I really have never had Facebook. I've really never had MySpace. I, I, I do have LinkedIn. That's the only social media I like have done. That's it. Uh, that, that shows you're a proper pro. You have to have LinkedIn if you've, uh, if you've got a proper office job like yours. Well, yeah, I, I, had to go, I have to pay the bills, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, man, I must have about 20 MySpace accounts for all the various bands and stuff that I wanted to get going. I thought, right, quickly register the MySpace account. And then, yeah, now MySpace. Hmm. That's not- <laughs> <laughs> I actually went there the other day, and it was just, believe it or not, worse than it used to be. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I, It was pretty bad, but it was fairly usable. It was bad because of who was on there, and there was so much spam and stuff. And I think that's why people moved on to Facebook. But... It's just unusable now. I don't know what is going on with it. It's it's still a fairly big name, and they could maybe reinvent it, but I don't know. It's yet another company that I should be in charge of, I think. I could reinvent MySpace and make it. What, what would you do if you could reinvent MySpace? I'd strip it down, basically. I'd, I'd strip down. Uh, have you ever used Elo, the new mm. one? No. Oh, you don't you do social networks here, but it's uh have you even heard of Ello? E L L O dot C O. No, I have not. It's a new up and coming one that had a bit of buzz for a while, but it's uh, it's not very good basically. But that's kind of stripped down and that's what I would do with MySpace. I would make it so that there aren't as many features. Like don't make it overwhelmingly feature rich and and try and make it just more a case of just try and make it more useful so that people can talk to each other, post photos, post links, and and be more of a you know social network, more Twitter style. Basically, I would turn it into Twitter because that's what I like. You're gonna turn it into a yo. What's yo? You never heard of yo? Oh, that's actually, the... no, I did use it. Yeah, and all you yo, can do yeah, is like yeah. just just yo someone, and that's it. Yeah, I don't know if you watch uh, Silicon Valley, that new show on HBO, but they're making fun of that. His uh. One of the main guys, his cousin started bro. So they're all broing each other. (laughs) I was on that for a little bit. And the only person I was friends with was Popey. 
and um, just occasionally we'd just yo each other. He he would just go in there once a day and yo everyone who had friends, you know, made friends with him or whatever it was. I just didn't understand that at all. And I, I feel like a bit old sometimes, man. Like there's the quote from Grandpa Simpson that goes something along the lines of, I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was and now I find what's it scary and it'll happen to you. And that's how I feel, man. I used to be with it and <laughs> I'm just not like, I see, see these people on Tinder and stuff and I just, I just don't get that. In, in my day, you just kind of went out and tried to meet people and I, it's like not even like dating sites. That kind of makes more sense. You, you plug in your interests. You know, if I was single, I'd put in like, you know, uh, like doom and sludge metal and uh, Linux computers. <laughs> you would be, be pulling in the girls left and right. I'll tell yeah, you what. Man, I'd be, uh, I'd be drooping in it. But uh, you know, at least if I then found someone, they'd be, they'd have some similar interests to me. Whereas just basing it totally on looks and aesthetics, it just how is that a foundation for any sort of lasting relationship? It doesn't make any sense to me. Although someone no. did point out when I mentioned that that um, that's if you go and talk to someone in a pub or something or in a bar, it would be over there. That's kind of the first thing you base it on, isn't it? Whether they're good looking or not. Yeah, you kind of do that. So you wake up from your hangover the next morning and realize the, the mistake you've made. Yeah, but I mean, that's just kind of society we live in. There was a book I read recently, some techno thriller about Daniel Suarez. They had a really good quote in it, which was before, I think before 30, everything is, is you know, cool as hell. You know, everything you see, oh, this is awesome. And then after 30, everything is a sign of the end of the world. It sounds about right to me. Yeah, I, I was like, yeah, he's completely right. Because everything I see now, like, this is the worst thing we could have ever made. While other people I talked to, like, this is the best thing ever. Like, what? So. Yeah, well, Elo is a prime example of that. I think most people who are on that are uh, under 20. But we managed to get so far away from uh, <laughs> the Google I don't balloons. even know what we were talking about. Oh, yeah, loon. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> We have drifted off like a Google balloon. <laughs> Indeed we have. All right, well, before we drift off too far, I've got a little bit of feedback from the last show, so let's do that. So we didn't get too much feedback. Uh, one from Will, who said, it was a nice discussion to listen to, though fairly unstructured and meandering. Well, uh, yeah, that's probably <laughs> it's quite similar to this as well. Yeah. If the Snowden revelations have any effect it will be through inspiring a few new digital rights activists not through any direct effect on public discourse i'm fairly technically literate on the subject and i find it really hard to keep straight what exactly has been revealed if i ever had time i'd like to go back over all of the news stories and make notes for myself on what was actually exposed in the documents part of the problem is the massive load of technical detail that was exposed through the direct leaking of the documents but i think part of it also is the eagerness to hype up many of the revelations. For many of them, the behaviour of the NSA that was revealed was actually much more restricted than the initial headline revealed. And yeah, they want to sell newspapers, don't they? That's why or, and they want to have people click on their link on Facebook or whatever. That's why they're always going to try and make it out to seem a bit more than it is. But I, I don't think... I don't know. I mean, you've presumably read more about this than me because I got so bored so early on with it because we'd been doing the Mind Tech show, which was kind of quite tinfoil hat. And we'd been doing it for about three months, I think, when this story broke. And we were just like, we've been talking about this for three months. Like, we told you. And then 
It was just overkill for me. And I think that's kind of part of it, isn't it? Like, that's why um, a lot of people like me are just sick of it, because there was just this blanket coverage, it seemed. Yeah, I actually reached out to Will and replied to the comment, you know, kind of saying, like, uh, I would like to see those notes at one, you know, that if he ever got around to making those, I think it'd be really worth reading. But I definitely got caught up in the hype now. And but when it first happened, I wasn't really caught up in the hype. I was more caught up in, is he even telling the truth? You know, and I mean, you could always look at it like, oh, it's, of course, we've always been watched or something. But I, at that moment in time, I was in the middle of, you know, government work. And I just kind of looked around me like, impossible. You know, one, no one is that, we don't hire that many smart people here. And then, and two, it, it's so much a pain to, just to get them to order the correct kind of coffee. I don't know how we're going to sur- do surveillance across all these nations. So that was kind of my take on it. So I just kind of didn't really get caught up on the hype in the beginning. I was just trying to see if he was actually telling the truth. And then slowly I started getting more caught up into the hype as more things came out. And I started realizing it was more of the truth. And then also because I'm more on the, uh, well, this is my job. You know, I kind of, I was like, I was in that clearance world and now I'm still in that programming world doing the code and stuff. But, you know, that was kind of what, I got caught up in it was more of like the code and the the big data, the algorithms that are involved in all this. So now that I know he's telling the truth, I'm kind of more interested in like trying to figure out how they're achieving this these insane uh, computations. Yeah, I'd also be interested to read those notes, Will, if you do ever get around to it. So um, yeah, maybe you could share a doc with us or attach it on an email or something. Um, oh yeah, I should have said at the beginning of the feedback section, joerestpodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on the website. As I said, we didn't get too much feedback, so um, yeah, let us know um, what you think of Isaac. Shall I fire him already after two shows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably why there's no feedback. Like, <laughs> oh boy, the show has gone downhill. He is really, Joe's really lost his way. <laughs> yeah. So another one we got was from Jack Dennehauer, who, among other things, said, I find myself on the opposite side of a lot of people in that I was not surprised at this Snowden brew up and remain unfazed by the revelations. Governments and powerful individuals have been intercepting and reading mail, radio transmissions, and other forms of communication since the beginning of each form of communication. Why should that change? Radio Special was an intelligence trade group almost from the days of Marconi. I believe that the mass information swirling through the airwaves, wires, and optical fiber is so large that even supercomputers would be hard-pressed to properly process it. Just look at the crap ads that get served on some websites, lol. Yeah, I don't know. I think that um, you're talking apples and oranges there. The the money that the government has to throw at this problem is quite different from people trying to sell you some dodgy stuff on the internet. Yeah, I agree with that right there. I also don't... I'm not too sure about been reading postal mail. That's what I'm going to take mail to mean right there. I mean, it's kind of... You could kind of tell if someone's altered with your postal mail. No, they kind of boil the kettle or, you know, boil a pan of water and steam it open and... Uh, they can get that closed again without you knowing, I think. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe so. Maybe people have been reading that since forever ago. I don't... Yeah, but the difference is that an email, an unencrypted email, is like a postcard, isn't it? Whether anyone in transit can read. At least an envelope is sealed and has to be steamed open or whatever, and can you can potentially see if someone's tampered with it, whereas an email is just like a postcard. Anyone can read it. You know, you know that's really true, because uh, I remember... I used to have my network completely unencrypted 
And uh, I purposely did that so I could watch my cousin try and get on there because I was using using Wireshark and I was just watching the packets. (laughs) And he was like, when I told him I've been watching him, he was like, dude, he was, he was, wasn't mad, but he was definitely like, are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) I tried to think what websites he was going to. Yeah, I tried. I turn wet, and, and then you also learn, like at college, you just don't turn Wireshark on, and also at work, you just don't turn that stuff on, like in the middle of the day. There's just things you don't need to know like, going around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, Jack continued. Enough of that stuff. I pass on the discussion of religion as well. Most people make their own decisions based on their study of information available and decide to live with the results or non-results. Teaching comparative religion in schools hasn't made much of an impact either. I stand by my belief that there is a God. I despair at what societies have done claiming that they acted in his name. Oh boy, let's, let's, where's your soapbox? <laughs> here we go, Joe. It's not- <laughs> okay, here we go. Well, I don't think that true comparative religion has been taught in schools. From, from what I understand it, yes, you do learn a little bit. Well, okay. I'm from the UK. You're from America. How much did you learn about other religions, Isaac? Um, not that much. Okay, we're gonna keep it within Christianity and not, you know, dive into the different realms of that. So we'll just stay within Christianity. Not that much at all. I, I I'm gonna tell you, I went to. Oh, I was forced to go to a Christian college my first year of college due to getting in trouble with the law. Okay, fair enough. Well, that we'll have to explore that on a future show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I definitely did that for a year and uh, outside of my own personal like readings and taking the time to better myself, I, I was not taught anything about other religions. Yeah. So you didn't at school, you didn't learn anything about like Islam or Hinduism or. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. If we want to, if you want to reference how, how to go to hell, then that was definitely how to do it. <laughs> what about what going to hell by learning about other religions? Or no, not about learning them, but practicing them. But oh, no, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I, where I'm from, where I'm originally from in Kentucky is like the the buckle of the Bible belt. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like heavy, heavy Bible stuff. So learning other religions is not even a, an attitude there. Yeah. And that's what I think is wrong. And that's kind of my soapbox that we need to, it doesn't matter which way you look at it, either if you're an atheist like me and you want to see all religions go away peacefully, of course, I don't want to start, you know, uh, doing crazy Hitler stuff, but I want to educate people and have them make their own mind up that there is no God, hopefully. Or if they decide that, you know, if they're brought up Christian and then read all about other religions and are taught about all other religions and then end up following Hinduism, then fair play to them. But to just bring a child up as one religion and then for them to bring their kids up, it's just not a healthy situation where they don't learn about other ones. I think you have a really good point there. You know, I think you need to kind of open your mind up for sure. And, and then when I was in Iraq, you could kind of notice that too. I mean, people didn't take the time to learn the culture and it really, it really panned out so well for us. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, people need to not just understand like religion, but at least their cultures as well, you know, cause everybody's always coming from a different viewpoint, you know, and in the minute you start like screaming or getting mad at each other, well, then you end up like slamming beer bottles at each other, like over an iPhone or Android phone. So yeah, that was the story that we were going to talk about, but then we ended up talking about it on Mintcast. I'm not sure who chucked it in there, but how can people have got to the point where they're smashing beer bottles over each other's heads over <laughs> the the iPhone versus Android thing? I mean, the best was one of them got a, a felony charge for that number. I really? mean, I'm, yeah, I, th- I think so. Let me uh, hang on. 
I had it pulled up because I was laughing about it. Uh, yeah, for felony assault with a deadly weapon. Assault with a deadly... So a beer bottle counts as a deadly weapon. I guess. Or maybe he was using it in a deadly form. I don't know. I'm, just, mm. I'm still confused on how they were going at it over phones. But if you go at someone with a car, that's assault with a deadly weapon in America as well because the car counts as a deadly weapon. The car? Yeah, yeah. If you'd like deliberately run someone over, that's assault with a deadly weapon. Oh, I would hope so. I mean, goodness. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you're going to hit someone going at, now we're, now we're getting off topic. But anyway, if you're going to drive at someone doing 80, I mean, I hope that's like, <laughs> that is a deadly weapon. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, right. So yeah, send us some feedback um, and let, let us know how this is. It's totally different from what I have been doing previously. Hopefully it's better. Who knows? JoeRestPodcast.gmail.com. So who knows when we'll be doing this again, if it will be we or it'll be me. Or if there'll be a third person, who knows, crazy things might happen. But until the next time, see you later. See ya.